Let's uh, let, let people find their favorite seat and take it. And we'll have a word of prayer and dive in. All right. Will you bow with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for allowing the sun to rise this morning, allowing us to arise to meet it in the opportunity of the day. Uh, we're grateful for all the contacts that we're able to make throughout the course of a day, all the opportunities we have to model Christ in the world and to study through your word so we can understand how you would have us to live. We're thankful for uh, our homes, our families, our loved ones, our neighbors. And as we come together tonight to think a little bit further about the idea of having Christian homes, we ask you to bless us as we think and as we study. Uh, we ask you to bless all the teachers and all the students who are in other classrooms at this hour. Help us always to grow a little bit more each and, each and every day, more and more into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Okay, good to see all of you. Uh, we started last week thinking about the idea of God giving us Christian homes. And uh, last week we thought about the aspect of leadership and uh, I'm going to give you a chance to tell me uh, anything that stood out to you from last week's class. Uh, but uh, this week I want to talk about law in the Christian home. But last week we thought about leadership in the Christian home. And these, these two things are related. And so um, maybe you guys can tell me something that stood out to you from last week's lesson about leadership in the Christian home. Give me one thing, one thing of your choosing. I was here last week. Was I here? It's possible I was a different place. Okay. Yes. Okay. Everybody has to submit to someone. Okay. Being willing to go first. Everybody, I mean, by God, God makes it very plain for us that by his arrangement, um, everyone does have to submit to someone, even Jesus Christ. Uh, submits to the Father, the Bible says. Uh, what else? Christian home. Okay, there's structure in the home. What is the structure in the home in terms of the leadership in the home? What is the structure? If this didn't stick, I'll do it again. Okay, Christ is the head of every Christian home, and the husband is the, uh, he's the, the human leader in the Christian home under Christ and then the wife and then the children uh, under the husband and the wife. And so we went through, of course, all those various passages, just looking at that. It's all laid out so very clearly. And we know that not everyone structures their homes this way. And uh, it's going to be hard to have a Christian home if Christ is not the head of it. And if you don't line things up under Christ the way the Bible lays out. And of course, in our society today, people sort of do whatever uh, whatever's in vogue at the time, but we strive to do it the way the Bible lays it out, uh, the way it's been laid out for thousands and thousands of years. Today, I want to think about this idea of law in the Christian home. And when we think about law, we're really talking about rules and guidelines, right? Uh, it used to be more customary for there to be law 
in a given home for there to be rules and guidelines and expectations. But maybe you've seen some of the things that I've seen where there's sort of a, a paradigm shift where people think that there is uh, something inherent or uh, inherently wrong or too constraining about saying you can do certain things and you must not do other things and uh, everyone is not just allowed to do whatever they want. I remember watching a show where uh, two famous parents, I won't bother you with who it was because maybe it doesn't matter, but two very famous parents were saying they didn't believe in telling their children no. Uh, their children, they had a lot of kids, their children were sort of being raised and allowed to do whatever they wanted to do and the idea that they had was they've got to find their own way. Um, and you know, I sort of thought to myself, well, like if so your child goes to stick a fork in the electrical socket, you don't say no. You know, your, your child goes to put his or her hand on a hot stove, you don't say no. They just are supposed to find their own way. Uh, that may be how they did things, I don't know, but that kind of idea, you know, with uh, new psychology and child rearing ideas, uh, that this is, this is not that uncommon, especially when you think about a world where nothing is supposed to be objectively true and everything is subjective and all of that. Uh, but that's not really how things function in a Christian home. They cannot function that way. In a Christian home, there always has to be law and order. There has to be rules and structure. And so I want to think through that a little bit with you today. Uh, we had a longer lesson a couple months ago about the idea of law. We looked at the Christian's view of law. And uh, just the synopsis of that was law generally refers to a system of rules that regulate the conduct of members of a group or a community. There are some rules in place designed to either prescribe or proscribe certain conduct. That is, you must do certain things and you must not do other things. And a failure to adhere to those rules uh, would subject one properly to punishment of some kind. What's the purpose of having a law that governs conduct? What's the purpose of having a rule that says a certain thing must or must not be done? Well, we chatted about that a couple months ago and we saw, listen, God gave human beings law from the beginning. And by God's design, there's law in every significant aspect of a human's life. Law makes life better. Law helps us to be more secure. It helps us to be more productive. And so God has given us a law that is a blessing that he has introduced into our lives. I say to you that law is good. And so the Bible calls for us to have law. If you look at, uh, look at 1 Timothy, if you don't mind, chapter 1. I have a good portion of it there on the screen, but I want to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, and you'll see what I mean. I just want to look at God's concept of law. What, what's the reasoning behind it? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse number 8, Paul writes and says, But we know that the law is good. Now, he's talking about the Old Testament law, of course. But he says, If a man use it lawfully as knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and unruly, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for 
fornicators, for abusers of themselves with men, for men stealers, for liars, for false swearers. And if there be any other thing contrary to the sound doctrine, according to the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. What are we to learn from that? You know, there was a time where human beings existed without the Old Testament law. Men didn't have the Old Testament law. Why was the Old Testament law introduced? Paul said it was because the law was introduced that I came to truly appreciate the depth of my depravity and sin. It was introduced because of human unruliness. God didn't have to tell people not to kill and not to steal and not to lie, except that men and women had problems killing and stealing and lying. And so the law was introduced as a good to restrain lawless, condemnable behavior. That's why the law was introduced in the first instance. If you look at, uh, you guys remember the book of Judges. Now, the book of Judges says several times there was no king in Israel. But at least two times it says there was no king in Israel, so men did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Question. Do you guys remember the state of the nation of Israel when they did not have an earthly leader who promulgated and enforced laws to make sure that people abided by God's law? Do you remember the state of the nation of Israel during that time? I mean, it was one of the worst times in the nation's history. And the Bible says they were doing whatever uh, seemed right in their own eyes. But the Bible also says that... uh, What seems right in our own eyes leads to death and destruction. You guys remember that? Jeremiah 10. The function of the king was to underneath God's umbrella of laws that he had given for the human family was to promulgate more laws that would cause people to remain within the bounds that God had set for them and to punish where people exceeded the bounds that God had set for them. We see that in Romans 13, right? That's the purpose of a secular ruler, to make sure that people remain within the proper bounds that God has set. And so I don't want to go through that too uh, in too much detail because we talked about that a couple of months ago, but the point is this. God calls for us to have law in whatever group, in whatever community it is. God expects us to have a law that orders our behavior. And leaders are responsible for making laws for the groups that they lead. Now, that is true in a national setting. You cannot have a nation without laws. That is true in an ecclesiastical setting. Within a local congregation, God has given us all the same book, but then he empowers the leaders in a local congregation, the elders, to make laws within the discretion of the congregation where laws can be made. He expects leaders to do that, to help people to move in a common direction to take care of what God wants to be taken care of. I say to you, the same is true in the home. The same is true in the home. And so if you would, is a good law. A good law is one that helps people to remain within social and spiritual order to remain safe and sound socially and spiritually. And of course, a good law is going to allow you to redress uh, 
uh, times where people go outside of the bounds that they ought to be within. That is to say, good laws pr provide a punishment for breaches of the law, right? What if you didn't have any law, but uh, someone just said to you, I don't like what you did, and so I punish it. And then the next person who does the same thing that you did, they say, well, I mean, I don't know. I don't feel as badly about what they did as you did, so I won't punish it. Well, that would, you know, that's not really a law. A good law is one that says, listen, this is what ought to be done, and here's the punishment for if you exceed the bounds of that law. And that tells people where they ought to be, and it gives people an incentive to refrain from breaching or breaking the laws and the parameters that God has provided. Generally speaking, the importance or the need for law. I'd also tell you that in the Bible, I see a case for what I'm going to call family law. Now, if I were at law school and I used that term, it would have a more specific meaning. But I just mean to say law within a given family. For example, now listen, the book of Proverbs is interesting in this respect. I just put a couple of these verses up here. Um, but several times in those first nine or ten chapters, the Bible says that the readers, these sons, if you will, were supposed to make sure they listened to the law and the commandments of the father and the mother. Now, these are not rules that were given directly by God, but these were rules that were given by the father and the mother in the home for those who occupied the home. For example, Proverbs 1 and 8, Solomon says, my son, hear the instruction of your father and forsake not the law of your mother. The instruction of your father. Now, this means that there is something that the father is saying that is more specific than what God has said more generally. God has said more generally, this is how human beings ought to conduct themselves. And then the father has said, OK, and in our house, this is what that looks like. And not the father only. The Bible says here that there is a law of the mother as well. In Proverbs 6 and 20, he says, Solomon speaking, my son, keep the commandment of your father and forsake not the law of your mother. This helps me to see that these young people to whom he's writing, these young men had grown up in an environment where they had the word of God, but then they also had law that was being given by the mother and the father what should and should not be done in that particular home. You guys remember uh, Genesis 18 and 19 is one of my favorite verses. And God says, speaking about Abraham, that he has known him. And what he knows about him is that he was going to command his children and his household after him that they would keep the way of Jehovah to do righteousness and justice. Well, now, wait a minute. If God has already said, generally, here is what must be done and what must not be done, what is he expecting Abraham to do for his children and for those in his household? He's expecting Abraham to take the general principles that God has espoused and then to make them more concrete for the people in his house in their particular circumstance. He's going to tell them, he's going to show them what it means to do righteousness and justice and to remain within the bounds that God has given. That was expected of him, that he would have law in his house. This is an interesting passage, Jeremiah 35. I, I don't know that most are, uh, 
are all that familiar with it, but it is there in the context in Jeremiah 35 is a man named Jonadab has given some series of commands to his sons, to those in his house. And by the way, specifically the command is that they would abstain from wine. That is the specific command that was under consideration in the context. If you look at verse 18, though, the Bible says, Jeremiah says to the house of the Rechabites, thus says Jehovah of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab, your father, and kept, listen to it, all his precepts and done according unto all that he commanded you. Therefore, thus says Jehovah of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not want a man to stand before me forever. What is the point? This man was the leader of his house. He was the leader of his family, and he had given them commands. He had given them laws. He had told them, listen, there is another group of people over there, and maybe there's another tribe of people over there, and they do things however they want to do things, but this is the way we do it. And that distinguished them from other people. I mean, here God is pronouncing judgment on other people, but he says, your house is distinct because your leader has given you good laws and good commands that help you stay within the bounds that I have set for you. And so then there will never be a man wanting to stand before me from among this man's descendants. What am I saying? He had law. He had order and rules in his house. Another example of this, uh, maybe it doesn't stand out to you, but I know you will remember this. In Luke 15, we've got the, uh, the father and the two sons, and you'll remember the one son, the younger, had come to his father and said to him, uh, I want you to give me what falls to me. I want you to give me my inheritance. I'd rather not wait until you die. I'll take mine right now, please. And so the father gives it to him, and he leaves, and, of course, he goes off into the far country and squanders what he has. When he returns, uh, the father, of course, is delighted to see him. The older brother is not so pleased. The father goes out to have a conversation with the older brother, and it was an interesting conversation. The father says, listen, you ought to come in and be married with the rest of us. Uh, your, your, older, your younger brother has come back, and this is an occasion for celebrating. He's entreating the older brother to come inside and participate. The older brother, though, says he wouldn't go. Listen to verse 28. He was angry and would not go in. And his father came out and entreated him. But he answered and said to his father, look, these many years do I serve you and I never transgressed a commandment of yours. But you never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friend. What is he saying? Well, you know, God had given law. God had given commands. But, but this father, who in, in this uh, parable here, of course, this father is showing us the heart of God. This father had given law and commands for his children that were specific to be applied in their circumstance, uh, more specific perhaps than the laws that God had given more generally. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 14 and 15, I just think this is interesting. In 1 Timothy 3... Verses 14 and 15, Paul tells Timothy that he has written all these things to him so that in case he's delayed, Timothy would know how to behave himself in the house of God. 
He says, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. But he says, I have written these things. And when you read the book, First Timothy, he's telling him all these various things that he needs to do and all these various things that other people need to do. And he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you will know how to behave yourself in the house of God. Helps me to see that in God's house, which is the church, there are rules, right? There is law. There are expectations and people who abide within those rules, within the law that he prescribes for his household, uh, those people can expect to be rewarded. And those who don't abide by the rules that he has given can expect to be punished in God's house. Did you know this? There are laws for how people ought to conduct themselves. Uh, query. Are there laws in your house about how people ought to conduct themselves? Query, does everybody in your house know what the laws are? Or do we just kind of make them up as we go from day to day? Um, I think most people probably just kind of make it up as they go from day to day. I mean, they kind of have a general sense of what's right and wrong, and then they just kind of tackle everything as it comes. Uh, I think it might be a better approach if we want to have Christian homes, if we actually take some time to think about the kinds of rules, the kinds of laws and commandments that would help us to facilitate social and spiritual order and security in our individual homes. What I want to do today, um, and let's well, make this point, but what I want to do today is make a few suggestions uh, to you about the kinds of things that in a Christian home uh, might be worthwhile in considering to have some rules and some commandments. And I don't I don't suggest that anyone has to do any or all of these, but I just think they may be worth thinking about. And I hope that as you sit here and you help me, maybe you have some some ideas. I have I have a few that I want to suggest, but I'd love to hear any suggestions that others have. That's how I want to spend the bulk of our time so that if anyone actually is interested in saying, let's sit down and think about how our house should function and what rules should we have that everyone in the house is expected to abide by so that we can protect ourselves socially and spiritually. Um, then I want to give you maybe a, a head start on some of that. God gives general laws to the entire human family. However, he expects leaders to use their discretion, and that's in the nation, that's in the church, that's in the home, to make and enforce laws that are specific to the circumstances of the groups that they are a part of. And so family leaders. Now, who are the family leaders? That's going to be your husband and your wife. That's going to be uh, father and mother. They're expected to provide some rules for the home. Everybody shouldn't just be doing whatever they want to do in the home. And those rules are to foster uh, social and spiritual uh, security and order. Is that making sense? I know I'm just flying through all of that, but. Um, if that foundation makes some sense, listen, there's supposed to be law. God calls for law and there's supposed to be law in your house. There is supposed to be law in your house. Um, then I want to think with you about some of the things that you may uh, consider implementing in your house. And we can discuss 
these uh, as the occasion warrants, I invite your input. The first one that I would suggest, law number one, we will consistently worship Jehovah together in this house. If this is going to be a Christian home, then we're going to have to engage in Christian activity. And one thing that Christians absolutely must do is worship God. If it is a Christian home, then we ought all be worshiping the same God and we ought to be worshiping him together. Uh, look at passages like this in Luke chapter two. <clears throat> you guys will remember uh, chapter two, Jesus, uh, his family, when he's about 12 years old, they go to uh, worship in Jerusalem for the Passover. But look at the language. If you think about it in this context, to me, it's really impressive. The Bible says his parents went every year to Jerusalem at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up after the custom of the feast. When did they go? They went every year. Now, Jesus is 12 years old. If they went every year, that means every year of his life, they all went. The whole family. And I think that's how worship is supposed to work, isn't it? Certainly in a Christian home, we all do this together. You remember in 1 Samuel 1, uh, the Bible tells us that Hannah was having some difficulty having children, conceiving children. And uh, the Lord intervenes on her behalf and she conceives and now... Uh, she has uh, she has gotten pregnant with Samuel. And the Bible says that after he was, <clears throat> they all went up together. That is her husband, Elkanah and Hannah, the whole family. They went up together. That's verse 19. They rose up in the morning and worshiped before Jehovah and returned and came to their house to Ramah. I, you guys have seen this. I'm sure you have. And um, I, I certainly have. But you've seen this where the time comes on a Sunday morning for the family to go and to worship God. And you've got maybe you've got the old man sitting there thinking that this is the time to watch football. And then you've got mom trying to hustle up the kids all by herself to get them on down to the meeting house to worship God. Listen, it's not supposed to work like that. And it's not supposed to work like, OK, the young man is now in high school and he spent all his Friday and Saturday night out doing God only knows what. And now it's time for him to get up and go and worship. And we're going to leave him because he's too tired to do what's supposed to be done. That's not supposed to work like that. And I know oftentimes it does. It can't be that you're so busy that you don't have time for us to do what God says we must do. We are to worship him. And that is our entire family is going to do. Now, listen, this is if you want a Christian home. Everybody can't go their own way when it's time to worship God. If you want to have a Christian home. But it's not just on Wednesday nights or Sundays. You know, worship um, is not only about the corporate assembly in a Christian home. Uh, Worship should characterize the environment. That is to say, times of daily devotion, daily singing, daily prayers. As a family, this is what should be going on. Um, and so number one, we will consistently worship Jehovah and that together. Questions or thoughts about that? Okay. Yes, ma'am.
Yes, ma'am. Okay, if you were a single parent, then obviously only the people who are in the home can do this. The people who are not in the home could not do that. And so obviously we look at the way homes are set up and every home's not set up the same way. By God's design should be mother and father, husband and wife there together and whatever children they have taken care of jointly. By God's design, it should work that way. Now, there are a lot of reasons that sometimes it doesn't work that way. Whoever is in the home, though, is responsible for this. It could be a single father. That does happen. I know it doesn't happen as much as single mothers, but it does happen. And so the single father is responsible for making sure that everybody in his house is engaged in worshiping God together. That means he's got to do it himself, right? And then he's got to lead his children in doing the same. If it's a single mother, the same would be true. She doesn't have a, a husband or father there to help, but, but she would be responsible for worshiping God herself. And she is a leader. We, this is what we talked about last week. Underneath her husband, she is leader of that house. If her husband's not there, then she is leader of the house in his absence and Christ would be her head because she doesn't have, she doesn't have a husband. That's a good question. I thank you for it. We worship God together. Yes, sir. Yes. It does start early. And I'll tell you what, it starts actually before your kids are small. It starts before you have kids at all. Right. Uh, if it's just husband and wife, they should be doing this together. Uh, and usually if they're not, that's because there is a problem, a pretty significant problem. If they're not worshiping together in the home, then that means there's some there's something going on that probably shouldn't be. All right, let's look at another of these. We will diligently study God's word together. You guys remember uh, Deuteronomy six and uh, it's a lengthier context, but I'll just pick out two of these verses because I think they're enough to illustrate the point here. In Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 6, uh, the Bible says, These words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You'll have these words in your mind. And look what he says ought to be done to impress these on the people in your house. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. When are we supposed to be thinking about the word of God? When are we supposed to be talking about the word of God? When are we supposed to be contemplating the word of God and how it applies in our lives? When? I mean, there's no, there's no time when we're not supposed to be doing that, right? And specifically, the context here is that in your home, this is supposed to be happening. If you want a Christian home, then your time of reading and study cannot be limited to when you come for Bible class on Wednesday night. It cannot be. If you want a Christian home, it can't work that way. God says, listen, the only time I expect you to be thinking about and talking about my word is when you're sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you're lying down or when you're getting up. Other than that, you're free. It's all the time. It's a lifestyle. It's all the time. And if you want a Christian home, I tell you what, that Bible has to be open in your home each and every day. Each and every day. Hopefully every individual in the house is doing their own private reading. But in a Christian home, people come together to, to soak in the word of God together. 
There's lots of ways you can do that. You can have times where you simply read from the Bible aloud together in the home. I mean, you know, you can read a lot of Bible in 15 minutes. If you just sit and open the Bible and read aloud, you can read a lot of Bible in 15 minutes. It doesn't take all day. Um, one of the things we like to do is just a custom that we've developed, I guess, during the dinner hour. That's how we usually spend our dinner hour. We always listen to a sermon or we listen to a Bible class as a family as we take our meal and we talk about what we have learned from that particular lesson that day. We've done other things, but we've done this for a few years now, and it's been very helpful for us. You know, at times, um, my children will have to stand and give us a lesson of some kind during the dinner hour. I mean, it's just not a day going to go by where we're not going to do this. They wake up and have their own individual time of reading and devotion. My wife has time of reading and devotion with them. Of course, I'm going to pray with them each night before they go to bed. My wife's going to pray with them in the morning. We all pray together before I leave the house. I mean, it's just all day long. That's how this has to work. In a Christian home, that's how it has to work. It's not an activity. It's a lifestyle. Immersion in the word of God. Questions or thoughts about that? Now, again, these are just suggestions. You may have some better than mine, but uh, I guess since I'm standing here, I'll keep giving you mine. We will serve Jehovah with absolute conviction. With absolute conviction. There will be no compromise in our home when it comes to our commitment and service to the God of heaven. You remember in, in um, Joshua 24 and 15, and this is what he said. He said, listen, I, I, it's important to me the way he says this. He says, if it's evil, if it seems evil to you to serve Jehovah, then you can choose who you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, see, we're going to serve the Lord. Uh, sometimes my, my kids will ask me why other people do certain things that they do. And I just say, well, listen, they obviously have a different expectation, a different standard in their home than we have. But you know what? We're the Otays. And this is who the Otays are. This is what the Otays do. I can't tell you why somebody else does what they do, but this is what we do. And this is why we do it. And that tells me that, you know, just because your house is next door to somebody's house, somebody else's house, it doesn't mean the same thing's going on. Absolute conviction, absolute commitment to serving God in a Christian home. You got to have that because there are going to be other things that come up and there will be decisions that have to be made. There will be distractions that will come along. If you're going to maintain a Christian home, though, you have to have first and foremost this absolute conviction. Now, other people are going to pursue all kinds of things and they're not going to have Christian homes. In a Christian home, you so there's a lot of things we could serve, but uh, we will serve the Lord. And that's going to make your house look differently, look different than somebody else's. Questions or thoughts about that? When problems arise and you've already committed, when problems come down the line, they're going to come. That's right. Um, you already know what you're going to do because we're going to serve the Lord. That's right. You know, the easiest time to decide what you're going to do when a problem arises, and Dean said problems will arise. 
You know, they, they absolutely will. The easiest time to decide what you're going to do when a problem arises is before it arises, right? You know that there, you may not know the particulars, but you know that you'll be put into a position where you've got to decide, do we give to the Lord the way we had promised to give or do we compromise the commitment we made to God to do this other thing? You know it's going to happen in life. You know that. Now, when are you going to decide how you're going to handle that? absolute commitment, absolute conviction to serving the Lord. The decision is made. If that's your house, the decision is already made. And, um, you know, your children see that. And you can say all the right things, but if they see you not doing what you say, it's going to be hard to maintain a Christian home. Because children, you know, we say, you do what I say and not what I do, but you know what those children are going to do. They're going to do what you do and say what you say. They'll be telling your children the same thing you told them, and they'll be doing the same thing that you did. That's usually how that works. A fourth idea, we will all share in labor and reward. Where do I get this from? You remember in Second Thessalonians, uh, and, and Paul had some issue. Apparently, there was an issue in the, the church at Thessalonica, and you see this in the first and the second epistle, where people didn't want to work for some reason. And uh, Paul reminded them, "Listen, when I was with you, he says, neither did we eat bread for naught in any man's hand, but in labor and travail, working night and day, that we might not be burdened, be a burden to any of you." Not because we have not the right, but to make ourselves an example to you that you would imitate us. And then he says, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you, if any will not work, neither let him eat. Now, somebody else may not think that this is something that they need to uh, to worry about in their home. But you see, in my in my in my home, I sort of expect everybody to do their part. I don't expect anyone to simply sit back and expect to benefit from everybody else's labor. I expect that when there's work to be done in the house, everybody's going to do their part. And there is a part for everyone to do. You know why there's labor for everyone? Because there's reward for everyone. I use a simple example. Um, you know, I like to eat like right about now, seven o'clock. If it wasn't Wednesday night, I'd be sitting at the table with my mouth wide open, waiting for my wife to pour food down my throat. Like at just seven o'clock, I just expect that to happen. Right. Everybody in the house has a part to play when it comes to the meals. Everybody in the house is going to sit down and partake of the meal. So everybody has a part to play in getting that meal uh, served. OK, so I'm going to go and work and, you know, uh, bring home uh, money or what have you so that uh, the food can can be provided. My wife is going to go to the store and she's going to uh, buy the food. She likes to go by herself, get away from us for a little while. Um, so she's got to deal with all the baskets and getting the food into the car and all that. Well, as soon as the garage door opens, I expect my kids to beat her down to the garage almost to get the food out of the car and into the house. I mean, that's not her. She's already done her part, right? She's gone and gotten it. Okay, and uh, I'm going to let them do as much of that as they can. And then whatever they can't handle, I will bring in. Okay, then my wife is going to actually labor and cook the food. 
Okay, well, you know what she's not going to do? She's not going to set the table. She's not going to clean the table. She's not going to clean the kitchen. No, listen, we all have a part to play. Didn't we all sit and fare sumptuously? Yes, we did. And so you don't get to eat without laboring. Okay, somebody's got to pay for the house and somebody's got to keep the house. But you know what? As you grow older, we're not going to pick up behind you. No, you're going to clean your room and you might come and clean a part of mine. You're going to vacuum the entire house. You're going to clean the bathroom. You're going to sweep the floors. You're going to you're going to work. Everybody in the house has to have some work to do because that's how life works. Paul says, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Well, I think that was a good law in Thessalonica. It's a good law in my house, too. If you don't work, you don't eat. Is that bell early? I've got 710. Is it over already at 710? Is it over 710? All right. Well, I had some more laws. I'm just going to give you a couple here. I wanted to hear what you had to say, but I guess I took too long. Uh, Number five, we will confess our faults and admit our mistakes. You know, you got to expect that in your house. If you want people who can admit when they're wrong out in the world, they should do that in your house. Matthew 18 and 15, James 5 and 16. We will always treat one another with respect. You know what? That's husband, wife, children. Everybody in the house is worthy of respect. And just because you make the most money in the house or you're bigger than everybody else, it doesn't mean you treat those who are smaller than you with no respect. Uh, The Bible tells us that we ought to uh, that we ought to do that. Um, First Peter two and 17 is uh, one example of that. And, uh, of course, Jesus said that you should do whatever uh, the golden rule there, whatever you want men to do to you, that's what you should do. We will always maintain our sexual purity. Boy, I've got Matthew 18 and 15 for all these, don't I? Uh, But that's not right. Uh, That's 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, I believe, that reference there. We'll always maintain our sexual purity, and uh, we will only use honest and edifying speech got to be careful about our speech in a Christian home. All right. So I guess that's our time. I have to leave it there. But listen, there are all kinds of things that in your house you could make rules and laws so that everybody in the house has the same the same expectations and everybody in the house is going to abide by those laws. All right. Thank you.